So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and open with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're finishing up what is sometimes called the infancy narrative in Luke's Gospel. These first two chapters focused on the birth of John the Baptist and then the birth of Jesus. We're finishing that up this morning. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 41 to 52. So Luke chapter 2, 41 to 52. And you can follow along with me as we read from God's Word. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church beginning in verse 41. Now, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when He was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing Him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for Him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find Him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for Him. After three days, they found Him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Him were amazed at His understanding and His answers. And when His parents saw Him, they were astonished. And His mother said to Him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good in Christ. Let's pray together as we consider God's word. Father, we do ask for your help this morning as we come together now to sit under the preaching of the scriptures. I pray, God, that you would remind us that the lordship of Christ is evidence in His church as we listen to and believe and obey Your Word. And so I pray, God, that we would not take it for granted today that we have come together underneath the Word of Christ given to us in the Scriptures. That we would be quick to believe today, Father. Quick to be corrected. Quick to be encouraged. And quick to respond with faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus. Please give us grace this morning, God. Please keep me from things that would be untrue. Please keep me from error. Please give Your people discernment. Help us to hold fast to the things that are true. There are so many things, Father, masquerading as true in these days. Please help us, Father, to have discernment, to see and to hold fast to the things that You have said. And we do pray, Father, that we would be built up in the faith and that Christ would be magnified in and through His church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What was it like to watch the Son of God grow up in Nazareth? Have you ever asked that question as you read the Gospels? I think it's a fascinating question to consider. What was it like to watch the Son of God, the eternal Word Himself, the One through whom all things were created, what was it like to watch Him grow up as a little boy in Joseph and Mary's house? What did He know and when did He know it? What was it like to watch the Son of God learn to walk and to talk? 
What was it like to watch the one who created the universe learn how to form his letters? What was it like to watch him learn how to read? Those are fascinating questions, I think. Jesus is fully God, but he's also truly human. So what was it like watching the Son of God grow up in the town of Nazareth? As interesting as those questions are, the Bible is largely silent when it comes to our curiosity. For example, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' birth is followed immediately by John the Baptist's ministry and then Jesus' own baptism. Matthew has about a 30-year gap that he just skips over. In the Gospel according to Mark, there is no account of Jesus' birth at all. There's just an Old Testament quote and then bam, John the Baptist shows up and Jesus gets baptized. Even the Gospel of John, which is unique in its presentation of Jesus, even John's Gospel gives us really no insight into Jesus' childhood. For the most part, the Bible is silent when it comes to our curious questions about watching the Son of God grow up. The Bible is largely silent. There is one exception to that silence, though, and it's this passage today in Luke 2, verses 41 to 52, are absolutely unique in the biblical record. This is the only place in the Bible where you're going to find a passage about Jesus as a little boy, as a child. This is the only insight we get into His personality. This is it, just a handful of verses. It's a unique passage, in other words. But for such a unique passage, it's also rather restrained. Did you notice that when we read? Luke's description here is short on details. It's reserved in what it recounts. Notice that there's no hint of Jesus using His miraculous powers to draw attention to Himself. Notice that there's no indication of how He got along with other children or even His own siblings. None of that. Luke gives us just the facts about this one instance from Jesus' life. And so, that raises a question that we have to answer from the start. This is always a good question to ask when you're reading the Bible. Why does Luke include this unique but rather restrained story from Jesus' childhood? Why is it in here? What's the purpose for telling us about 12-year-old Jesus? Well, the answer, friends, becomes clear when we notice that in Luke's Gospel, this is the first time Jesus speaks. It's the first time Jesus speaks. Verse 49, Jesus utters His first words that are recorded here. And those first words reveal Jesus' understanding of Himself and His mission. You see, that's Luke's purpose for including this unique but restrained story. It allows us to see from His earliest days that Jesus understood both who He was and what He came to do. He understood both who He was and what He came to do. That's why this passage is in here. In that sense, friends, this passage is really a preview of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's, it's a foreshadowing of so much of what will happen as Jesus goes about His work on the earth. Before His ministry begins, we're given a glimpse of what Jesus is going to teach about Himself and what He's going to teach about His mission and even how people will initially respond to Him. So if you look at the details of the passage, Luke's focus is on what Jesus knows. His focus is on what Jesus knows about Himself and His mission. And specifically, there are three truths that deserve our attention as we consider what Jesus knows. First of all, we should note Jesus' insight into God's Word. 
Second, we should see Jesus' understanding of God's nature. And third, we'll need to consider Jesus' commitment to God's will. Three truths about what Jesus knows regarding Himself. Let's begin then in verses 41-47 to with Jesus' insight into God's Word. His insight into God's Word. You may remember from last week how Jesus' parents were faithful to observe the law of Moses. And even though some 12 years have passed, today's passage begins in pretty much the same way. Notice in verses 41 and 42 that we meet the family journeying to Jerusalem for the Passover. This was the start of a week-long festival in Jerusalem that commemorated Israel's exodus from Egypt. So just like last week, The picture Luke gives us is of a faithful, devoted Israelite family that is very careful to walk according to the Word of God. It's a faithful family walking according to the Word of God. Now, as an aside, friends, this is not the main point of the passage, but since we've seen it now two weeks in a row, it's worth pointing out. It's worth pointing out to you Joseph and Mary's faithfulness to the Word of God particularly as Jesus' parents. Notice how central the worship of God was to the life of this family. I know it's not the main point, but notice how central the worship of God was to the life of this family. Notice how their children, and Jesus did have siblings, notice how their children would have witnessed that faithfulness year after year. Listen, technically, only Joseph is required to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't have to take his whole family. Only Joseph is required to go, and yet he takes his entire family year after year. The entire family came to worship God. Think about the impact that would have made on those young hearts and minds. Think about the trajectory that this would have set for their entire lives. Was there more that Joseph and Mary needed to do to be faithful parents? Absolutely, of course. They needed to teach them and discipline them and love them and care for them. There's more to do for sure. But even still, we should not miss this foundational faithfulness. What marked the rhythm of this family's life? It was the worship of God according to the Word of God. And there's some wisdom there for us as parents today, isn't there? We should not underestimate how valuable it is to make the worship of God according to the Word of God the center point of a family's life. That kind of faithfulness can be, Lord willing, very formative, even foundational for our children's hearts and minds. Are there other things that we must do? Yes, absolutely. But without this foundational faithfulness, year in and year out, those things become much more difficult and perhaps even much less effective over the long haul. So it's not the main point of the text, but it's an instructive example, friends. Joseph and Mary make the worship of God according to the Word of God a central point of their family's life, and we would be wise to do the same thing. We would be wise to do the same. You'll notice, though, that for this particular trip to Jerusalem, Luke tells us the family encounters a problem. You see it there in verses 43 to 45. When the family sets out for home, Jesus remains behind. His parents don't realize this at first. They think he's off with family and friends, which is a natural assumption to make. He's going to go hang out with his friends. Add to that the fact that we know Joseph and Mary had other children after Jesus, and you can very easily 
envision how their oversight would have happened. Mary and Joseph are probably wrangling all the little kids and they're not worried about the 12-year-old Jesus. He's fine. He's off with his friends. Don't worry about it, Mary. He's fine. But that's the problem, isn't it? Jesus is not fine, they think. He's not with his friends. He's remained behind. And it's not till the end of the first day that Joseph and Mary realize something is wrong. And at that point, they do what any set of parents would do. They set off in a scramble to find their son. And it's only after they search for three days, Luke tells us in verse 46, that they finally find Jesus. But the significant point, friends, is where they find Him. Notice verse 46. After three days, they found Him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. You'll remember that the temple was the center of Israel's religious life. God's presence was said to dwell in the temple, and God's priests offered sacrifices for sin here in the temple. But another key feature of the temple's worship was the teaching of God's law or the discussion of God's Word. Rabbis would gather at the temple with their students and they would engage in these dialogues about the law of God. There would be these extended question and answer sessions all focused on the content of the Scriptures. What did it mean? How does it apply? How should we follow it? And that's where Joseph and Mary find Jesus. That's what they walk up to in verse 46. They walk up to one of those teaching sessions and surprisingly, they find their son right there in the middle of the teachers asking and answering questions about the law and about the Word of God. Now that fact by itself is pretty astonishing to see a 12-year-old hungry for this kind of conversation. So hungry, in fact, that he stayed behind for three days. I mean, where did he sleep? What did he eat? I don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. So it's pretty astonishing just to see a 12-year-old there for three days engaged in this kind of conversation. But verse 47 takes it to another level. Notice what Luke tells us in verse 47. And all who heard Him were amazed at His understanding and His answers. Now you've got to keep the context in view to grasp this verse, I think. These teachers are among the brightest minds in Israel. Their calling is to discuss and teach and analyze the Scriptures. Their job, in fact, is to be so well informed that they are not amazed by any question. Like That's their job. Don't be amazed. Know so much that you're not surprised when someone asks you something. They're supposed to be the ones amazing everyone else, not the ones being amazed. And yet, what's happening in verse 47? The teachers, the teachers of Israel are amazed at the 12-year-old boy. Their minds marvel at the level of insight displayed by this soon-to-be young man. And it's not hard to imagine what's going to happen roughly two decades later when the same teachers, maybe, turn on him for his understanding into God's Word. Clearly, though, at this point, the 12-year-old Jesus has a depth of knowledge that astounds those who hear. Clearly, his hunger for God's Word gets their attention. Does this mean Jesus was teaching the teachers new things? Who knows? Perhaps. But Luke doesn't flesh out all the details. At a minimum, though, we can say Jesus is amazing, the teachers with His insight. At a minimum, He is astounding the wise with His hunger for God's Word. You see, it's actually an illustration of what Luke will say later in verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in favor with other people. He's growing here. 
his insight is increasing, even to the point that the teachers of Israel are amazed. Now, one of the things I find striking at this point is Jesus' very evident desire to go deeper in the Word of God. Think about that for a minute. I know it's hard to fathom on some level how the eternal Son of God can grow in anything. I know that it's hard to fathom how the Word made flesh can go deeper in knowing God's Word. I know those connections are hard to to fathom in our minds, but that's the mystery of the Incarnation, friends. That's the mystery of the Lord Jesus Christ. It defies our understanding to some degree. So even as we acknowledge some level of mystery that we can't grasp, it should be clear to us that Jesus wanted to go deeper in the Scriptures. He loved God's Word and He wanted to talk about it and ask questions about it and listen to people and give His answers. You see, that's one of the takeaways here, brothers and sisters. Jesus sought out this opportunity because He believed, even at 12 years old, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's not just at His temptation that we see His commitment to the Scriptures. It's here at 12. He wants to know God's Word. And He wants more of it. He's hungry for the Scriptures. And so, if I were just to, point, uh, just to put the, the application here rather bluntly, this is what I would say. If Jesus sought to grow in the Scriptures, how much more should you and I? If Jesus, the Son of God, viewed God's Word as valuable and worthy of His time, how much more should you and I invest our time to know God's Word as well? Listen, I certainly hope that you're seeing here how Jesus is unique in these verses. He has insight that amazes the teachers. And from this point forward in the Gospel of Luke, we should always expect that Jesus is the one who gets the Bible right. So I hope hope you see that He's unique in these verses. And at the same time, I also hope that we should learn from His example as well. We need to learn from His example as well. If Jesus considered the Scriptures this valuable, this important, this worthy of His time, how much more should we? There's no better day than today to start. Take up God's Word and read, friends. Take up God's Word and read. Find someone to read it with. Maybe even follow Jesus' example here and ask questions and give answers together around the Word of God. There's no better day than today to start. It's an investment that adds value both to today and to eternity. So that's the first truth we should see in this unique scene. Jesus' insight into God's Word. The second truth takes us into the heart of the passage, verses 48 and 49. Jesus' understanding of God's nature. Jesus' understanding of God's nature. Having found their son, Joseph and Mary are nearly overwhelmed by the moment. Notice verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. So the teachers are amazed, and Jesus' parents are astonished. The idea here is to be nearly overwhelmed, basically. They're astonished. They're they're breathless. They're overwhelmed at, at seeing their son present in the temple in the midst of the teachers. They're just dumbfounded. But, you'll also remember that they've been looking for Jesus for three days. 
That's a long time. So Mary's astonishment fades pretty quickly, it seems, <laughs> at least long enough for her to ask the question that you might expect her to ask. Again, verse 48. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. In short, friends, Mary wants an explanation. Now, you'll remember later, at the, later in the passage, it says that Jesus went back to Nazareth and was submissive to them. So there's no hint here that Jesus has done anything wrong. But Mary wants an explanation. Three days is a long time, and they've been worried. Why did you stay behind, she asks. She, she wants her son to explain himself. But notice also that in asking the question, Mary refers to Joseph as Jesus' father. Did you notice that there in verse 48? Your father and I have been looking for you. Of course, that's how their family is presented to the watching world. Joseph did raise Jesus as his own son. And yet, that statement is missing something, isn't it? It's missing the key piece to this entire passage, and that's the truth of Jesus' identity. In fact, notice Jesus' answer in verse 49, and listen to how He gently but clearly corrects His mother's question. Verse 49, And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for Me? Did you not know that I must be in My Father's house? Remember, friends, this is the first time that Jesus speaks in the Gospel, in Luke's Gospel. And with these first words, Jesus very clearly affirms His identity as the Son of God. It's not true that His mother and His father were looking for Him. His mother was looking for Him. But His father knew where He was. Joseph may be Jesus' earthly father, as Mary pointed out, but Jesus reminds her that His identity is determined not by Joseph, but by God Himself. Jesus even takes the bold step that no first century Jew would have done of calling God my Father. Not just the Father, but my Father. You see, Jesus at 12 understands there is a personal connection between Himself and the Almighty God. This is what the angel told Mary before Jesus' birth, that He would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus now reminds His mother of there in the temple. There is a unique personal connection between Jesus and God Almighty. Now, as the New Testament unfolds, we're going to learn more about this connection. We're going to learn that Jesus possesses the divine nature completely and totally. We're going to learn that what is true of God is true of Jesus Christ, for He is God's own Son, one member of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to learn all of that as the New Testament continues to unfold. But for now, Luke has given us enough to see that from the beginning, Jesus understood His own identity. He understood that He was the Son of God and that God Almighty was indeed His Father. Mary says, your Father and I are looking for you. And Jesus says, no, you were looking for Me. My Father knows where I am. And it's that truth, friends. It's, it's the truth of Jesus' identity that answers Mary's question. She asks, why did you treat us this way? Why did you treat your Father and Me this way? And Jesus says, but Mother, remember that God is My Father. Where else would I be than in my Father's house attending to my Father's Word? If she remembered, if she knew His identity, then she would have answered her own question. You see, it's Jesus' identity as the Son of God 
that demands both Mary's attention and ours. Above all else, above everything else, to make sense of this 12-year-old boy, we must see and believe and embrace the truth that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Son of God in human flesh. It's His identity that is the key. A few years ago, there was a book published entitled Saving Jesus from the Church. The book was not nearly as creative as the title. Saving Jesus from the Church. The author's goal was to convince people to pursue an alternative vision of the Christian life. And this alternative vision included the belief that Jesus was not a divine Savior, but instead a profound teacher. He, did, he didn't come to say That's right. He didn't come to save, the author claimed, but simply to teach. But what made this book so particularly dangerous is the, the author went on to claim that this alternative vision of the Christian life was not new, but was actually very old, going back even to Jesus. If you read Jesus, the author said in very erudite language, if you read Jesus, you'll find a man who understood himself to be a teacher and nothing more. But friends, that's exactly the opposite of the Bible. It's exactly the opposite of what the Bible is saying here in Luke chapter 2. The entire point of this scene is that Jesus understood Himself to be God's Son. To be God in the flesh. And that He understood this from a very early age. This is not some doctrine that the church invented. This is from the mouth of the man himself. If you want to know and follow Jesus, then you have to start at this point with the confession that Jesus is the Son of God in human flesh. There's no other place to start. That's the truth of His identity. It's the truth that Jesus understood about Himself and that He understood about the nature of God. And it's the truth that He's now revealed to us in God's Word. He is the Father's Son, and He knows it. But as profound as that confession is in verse 49, there's actually another piece to Jesus' answer that we, need to, that we need to note. There's another piece here we need to see. It's the third truth in our text, and it helps complete the picture of who Jesus is. Verse 49 also shows us Jesus' commitment to God's will. He understands God's nature, and now we know that he understands his commitment to God's will. You'll notice in verse 49 that Jesus says he must be in his Father's house. You see that there? I must be in my Father's house. The idea is necessity and submission. It's not that Jesus can be in the Father's house or that he might choose to be in the Father's house. No, Jesus must be in the Father's house. He must be about the Father's business. You see, that, that's the point. It's about the Son's submission to the will of the Father. But this is where it gets interesting, I think. If we expand out and we consider the entire scope of Luke's Gospel, we, we find that this point takes on a little bit more significance. Throughout the 24 chapters of this Gospel, Luke uses the same verb to describe Jesus' mission. He takes the same verb in verse 49 and He uses it to describe the things that Jesus must do as the Christ. So here again, we have one of those preview moments of Jesus' ministry. He must be in His Father's house. And if we expand out for just a minute and kind of take a sneak peek, 
we'll see more clearly what Jesus must do. So just listen to this, these examples and consider how the, the 12-year-old Jesus already has His eyes fixed on the Father's will. Here, here's what Jesus must do according to Luke's Gospel. As the Father's Son, Jesus must proclaim the good news of the Gospel. Luke 4.43 Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the Kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus must preach. As the Father's Son, Jesus must fulfill the Scriptures. Luke 24.44 Then Jesus said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus must fulfill God's Word. As the Father's Son, Jesus must Walk the road of suffering that leads to Jerusalem. Luke 13.33 Jesus said to His disciples, I must go on My way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus must go to Jerusalem to suffer. And as the Father's Son, Jesus must be rejected and killed only to then rise again on the third day. Luke 9.22 Jesus said to them, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus must lay down His life for His people. Preach the good news. Fulfill God's Word. Suffer on the road to Jerusalem. Endure the cross. And then rise again on the third day. Jesus must do the Father's will. Now look back to verse 49 here in chapter 2. And when Jesus says He must be in the Father's house, we should hear in those words the faithfulness that not only submits to God's will now, but also the faithfulness that will one day lead Jesus all the way to the cross. Do you see what I'm saying? The, the, the same faithfulness to obey the Father that leads the 12-year-old Jesus to the temple is the same faithfulness that will lead the 33-year-old Jesus to the cross. Already, He knows what He must do. And already, He's preparing Himself to obey the, the Father all the way to the end. This is what He came to do, friends. This is why He came to do the Father's will. The commitment that's on display here in Luke 2 at 12 years old is the same commitment that will one day find its ultimate expression at the cross. He knows He must obey the Father. And that will take Him all the way to Calvary. So, at this point, we're ready to connect Jesus' identity and His mission. We're ready to connect our second truth with our third truth. Remember, in the second truth, we saw Jesus' identity as the Son of God, fully divine, sharing the Father's nature. And here in the third point, we've seen Jesus' mission that He must do the Father's will, a commitment that will culminate in the cross. So now we're ready to connect those two truths, identity and mission, we're ready to connect those together. And surprisingly, that connection comes from a moment of misunderstanding. Notice verse 50. After Jesus answers Mary's question, notice what Luke says, verse 50. And they, that is Mary and Joseph, and they did not understand the saying that He spoke to them. Here again, we have a preview of what is going to happen 
in Jesus' ministry. Joseph and Mary do not understand what Jesus is saying. They don't yet see His identity. They don't yet grasp who He is. And this is not going to be an isolated event. All throughout the Gospel, people misunderstand Jesus. Even Jesus' own disciples will struggle to fully understand who He is. So Joseph and Mary's lack of understanding is not an isolated event. It's a preview of what's going to happen time and time again through the first 23 chapters of the Gospel. And that raises a question that we have to answer. What will resolve this lack of understanding? It should bother you that they don't understand. It's very clear to us in verse 50, I mean in verse 49 that he's the son of God. Why don't they understand? What will resolve their lack of understanding? What's the truth that gives the illumination that allows them to see without doubt that Jesus is the son of God? What what's the resolution? The answer friends is the cross and the resurrection. It's the cross and the resurrection. You see, it's Jesus' mission that finally and ultimately reveals His identity. That's the connection that we need to see between the second truth and the third. It's the cross and the resurrection that reveals to us most clearly the glory of the Son of God. It's the cross and the resurrection that shows us most fully the Son's commitment to the Father. And it's the cross and the resurrection that declares to us that God has come to save His people through the work of His only Son, Jesus Christ. The whole sermon I've been preaching to get to this sentence. Here it is. If you want to understand Jesus, then you have to see Him through the lens of the cross. If you want to understand Him, even at 12 years old in the temple teaching, you have to see Him through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb. There is no right understanding of Jesus apart from His crucifixion and His resurrection. He cannot be merely a good teacher. You have to see Him here as the one who's come to do the Father's will. You have to see His commitment to the Father's will. A commitment that would lead Him to die and rise again for the salvation of His people. And so, I'll just, I'll just ask you, everyone in this room today, whether you're 62, 32, or 12, I'll ask everyone the same question. Do you know this Christ today? Do you know this Christ today? He is the Christ, the Son of God. And He's come to save those who trust Him. Do you know this Jesus by faith? Not the idea of Jesus, but the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Do you know Him by faith? Have you confessed your sin before Him and bowed before Him in faith that He will save those who trust Him? That's really the question of this Passage, do you believe that this Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again to save? Whether you're 62, 32, or 12, do you know this Christ and do you trust Him? Friends, what we need to recognize at this point is that this entire paragraph is, is like a megaphone from Luke. It's, it, it's, it's like a, a megaphone that's blasting out this call for us to hear and believe and respond to Jesus. We said at the outset that Luke is the only writer that includes this scene. He's the only writer. And now, I hope we see more of Luke's purpose for doing so. Luke puts this powerful scene strategically right here on purpose so early in his Gospel as a way of saying to us, listen up! Listen up! This is the Son of God. This is the One who has come to do the Father's will. This is the One who will endure the cross. Listen to Him. 
Listen to Him. Don't breeze past what He said. Don't think, I've heard this story before. I've read the Gospel before. I know all about the cross and the resurrection and the coming back one day. I've heard all this before. Listen to Him. Listen to what He says. Believe what He says. Slow down. Pay attention and respond with the faith and the obedience that this man deserves. And the way we do that, friends, the way we respond is by giving attention to God's Word. This world is full of stuff that is distracting. It's entertaining, but it's also distracting. And if we're not careful, we're just going to be distracted until the last day, and then it's going to be over. The way we respond, the way we listen to Him is by slowing down and giving attention to the Word of God and believing what it says and then living in obedience to it. Friends, I can't make the Christian life any snazzier than what it is. Know God's Word. Believe God's Word. Obey God's Word. Love God's people. You can't make it any snazzier than that. Listen to this man is what Luke is saying. The way we pay attention to Him is by slowing down and listening to His Word and responding to it in faith and obedience. Is that true of you today? Is that true of me? Are we taking in God's Word, listening to what it says, and then submitting our lives to it? As much as it might stretch us to think this way, that's, that's, I'm convinced that's what this moment with the 12-year-old Jesus is saying to us. It's a, it's a call to submit to His Word, for He is indeed the Son of God. And He wants us to listen and believe and obey. And so, friends, the stage is now set for Jesus' life and ministry. The prelude, so to speak, is finished. And we're now ready for Jesus' ministry to begin. Notice how the final verses of the passage set that stage for what's going to come. Verses 51 and 52. And Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So the stage is set, in other words. Luke has laid the foundation. He's told us what He must tell us before Jesus' ministry begins. Jesus is truly human. Having been born of Mary, He even obeys His parents and grows as any boy would grow, verse 52 says. Jesus is truly human. Flesh and blood, like you and me, in every way except without sin. He's truly human. And Jesus is fully God. The Father's Son who has come to do the Father's Will, the stage is set for us to see that this Jesus is the Savior of God's people. And so, as we go out today, may God grant us the grace to listen to this Christ, brothers and sisters. May we listen to Him with faith and obedience. And may our lives demonstrate our trust and our confidence in this One who is the only Son of God from His own mouth, the only Son of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for the clarity of the Word of God that everything that is necessary for life and salvation and godliness is clearly revealed to us in the Bible. We don't have to, we don't have to worry that we will miss it when we read, Father, in faith and in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Your Word is clear. And as we have clearly seen this morning, the Lord Jesus is the only Son of God in human flesh. And He came down from heaven 
precisely to do Your will and to accomplish the salvation that was determined by You before the foundation of the world. And there is no, Father, ambiguity. There's no obscurity to this. It has been clearly revealed to us in the Scriptures that this Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and therefore the only Savior. Please help us, Father, to believe and respond in repentance and faith and obedience today. If there are those among us who do not know Christ, even those among us, Father, who may be still early in life, would You open their eyes to see this Jesus and trust in Him? We ask in His name. Amen.